Thank you, Macy, for reading for us today. Happy Fourth of July week weekend to you. It's good to be uh, be back here at Dover. We left right after church on Sunday, and we're gone just about the whole week, enjoying God's creation up at Pokagon State Park in Fort Wayne. I had never been there, and and we had a great time. And just it's amazing how. What a blessing it is when you can get away and just focus on the Lord and just hear him in those still, small, quiet moments. Just Be Kind is a campaign that no doubt you have seen on a sign uh, in front of someone's house or business or alongside the road. They're popping up everywhere. And I think it's a great campaign. Obviously, to be kind is, is a great message. And I'd like to adopt it in a certain way and tweak it and make it maybe more specific for us here at Dover. Just be kind like Jesus and make sure he gets the credit for your kindness. Anyone can be kind and do good deeds. But as Christians, we are being discipled into becoming more and more like Jesus. And as we do, everything about us becomes more like him. And it's evident to all who are around us. And we begin to talk like Jesus. Have you ever noticed how when you hang out with someone, maybe a best friend, or maybe you're out of town visiting relatives uh, for, for a week, and you come back home, and you kind of start to talk the way they talk, the words that perhaps they used, or the accent. People ought to know, hey, you, you are one of them because you talk like Jesus. We ought to think like Jesus. Uh, that takes uh, being in his word. It takes quiet time and prayer. If you want to think and have the mind of Christ, if you want to be discipled in that way that, that you're not just a follower, you don't just belong to a church, have your name on the roll somewhere, but you are actually being discipled to becoming like Jesus, you begin to think like he thinks. We forgive like Jesus unconditionally. We act like Jesus. Basically, we develop a reputation that people, when they see us, they see Jesus. The name Christian means little Christ. And if you're called a Christian, you're his mini-me. Well, we've been looking at some uh, heroes of the Bible, basically borrowing some of the characters from our Super Saturdays theme, Over the Top, Amazing Feats of the Bible. We're going to look at four of them. Today is the third of the four, uh, and that is Elijah. And uh, I've titled the series Bold Moves, and each Sunday we're kind of asking a question that's kind of that in-your-face bold question. Uh, The first Sunday, what are you looking at? And talk about David and Goliath. What are you looking at? Are you looking at the giant that you're facing, or are you looking at the God who can enable you to conquer any giant? Why are you here? was the question last week. Why are you here? We looked at Samson and, and why God had put him on the earth and given him such incredible power and strength He didn't always live up to it, and he oftentimes forgot why he was where he was. And today's question, what's your story? So what's your story? People will know more about Jesus by the things they see us do and by our behaviors than they will probably anything that we say. The best way to share your faith story is to show your faith story. If you've got your Bibles with you today, we're going to be pretty much referencing all of 1 Kings 18 but primarily, verse 36 is, is going to be the, the take-homes for you today that we'll, we'll look at here in just a moment. But 36 through 40 reads this way. 1 Kings 18, 36 through 40 says, And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these, this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the, book, to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Let it be known. Elijah says. And he offers up three things. Now he's talking not just uh, to his adversaries, but he's talking to God's own people, the Israelites who had severely gone astray and were worshiping false gods. And the first thing he says to them is, There really is a God. Let it be known that there is a God over Israel. And he, he addresses God as the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Israel. God was still the God of the northern uh, territory, of northern Israel. But the people were not living like there was a God. Do you, do you, do you know uh, people that are like that today? They may say they believe in God. They may, again, have their membership at a certain church somewhere. But they've drifted so far from him that you begin to kind of pick up that, hey, it's their, their faith is just a religion to follow for good measure. But you wonder about their heart. Ahab was the seventh king of Israel, and he ruled during Elijah's time. Ahab was a lot of work. <laughs> if you were a prophet during Ahab's time, a prophet of the one true God, Ahab was going to give you plenty of business because he was more interested in political correctiveness than he was in pleasing God. Ahab was more interested in, in political uh, political happiness and avoiding controversy than he was in pleasing Jehovah God. He was married to a woman named Jezebel, which was a political move in and of itself. He married her to strengthen his relationship with Phoenicia. Her father was Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he was very much into pagan worship, Jezebel's father was. And Jezebel used her position as first lady to promote paganism. The couple moved to Jezreel when they were married, and this was a city that had served Jehovah God faithfully. Oh, there was a time in their history in which they were a nation that looked to God and they loved God and they followed Him and they obeyed His commandments, but they had strayed. And not just over time, but I mean it happened quickly under Ahab and Jezebel's leadership. Mr. and Mrs. Ahab turned the city into a city that worshipped Baal, a Phoenician god. Baal, by the way, this is going to be interesting later on in the story, because Baal was the god that they looked to to represent the sun, S-U-N, sun, a god of fire, a god of light, a god of heat. (laughs) I picture the second movie of Back to the Future when Marty McFly sees what happens to Hill Valley after Biff got a hold of a sports magazine that enabled him to do insider betting on sporting events and become the richest man in all of Hill Valley. If you've seen that movie, you know it's a very, very dark setting under Biff's evil power. 
Elijah had to have felt a little like Marty McFly felt when he saw a city known for its worship of Jehovah God transformed into a a city of, of pagan worship known for its unscrupulous practices. As if turning your back on God wasn't bad enough, so many of the worship customs and practices that they had were downright evil. King Ahab was about as bold as milk toast. (laughs) If Jezebel thought it was a good idea, Ahab ordered it done. And Jezebel was in all practical purposes the one on the throne because she used her husband's power to promote hers and her father's love of paganism. Ahab had a sanctuary built for Baal, and he even erected a a wooden image, a pole, to Asheroth. Um, and supported hundreds of pagan prophets. God is a jealous God. We all have heard about the Ten Commandments, right? Two of those Ten Commandments tell us that we shall have no other gods before Him and that we shall not worship any images that we ourselves make with our own hands. Notice that Elijah doesn't just call down fire from heaven, but for Israel's conversion... It's more about winning an argument. It's more about his own desire to prove himself right. It's not just about defeating Ahab and Ahab's prophets that he has. It is about converting Israel back to the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And that was far more important than any earthly battle or earthly contest. This was a big deal. Don't underestimate the significance of the 12 stones that he had put around that altar, each representing one of the 12 tribes of Israel. These are God's chosen people. These are the ones whom he released from slavery and and protected for 40 years and provided food that miraculously fell from the sky and fresh water that flowed from rocks. And, And he brought them across the Jordan River and into this wonderful, beautiful land that did not originally belong to them, a land flowing with milk and honey. He gave them everything they would need. He said just one thing, don't worship the gods of the Canaanites or the gods that were worshipped where you've left from in Egypt. You've got to remember that I am the Lord. And Moses had given them these ten commandments to live by, and yet they were so quickly led astray by Jezebel and by her desire to turn them away from God, turn their backs on God, and worship Baal and Asheroth. Twelve stones, part of this contest. This is a contest very similar to the one we had with David and Goliath, in which it's not so much about flesh and bones. Our struggle is not against flesh and, and blood, but it's against the, the principalities of, 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 of this world. And so, so in this case, Elijah says, here's what we'll do. We'll each build an altar, An identical altar, same kind of wood. We'll build these altars, and on these altars, we'll place a sacrifice. Now, the sacrifice was a bull. You know, for a guy that's not around farm animals very often, I get to go to the fair once a year, and I'm always amazed at how large these animals are. This is a big sacrifice. Two bulls had been slaughtered for for this contest, to see whose God was the God of Israel, to see whose God was going to answer the call. And they sacrifice these bulls, and they put them on these altars. Only one thing is left out. And Elijah says there will be no fire. 
We will not bring our own fire to this. We'll let God, the real God, provide the fire. And so the contest begins. And again, his main emphasis is on that conversion of bringing Israel back to what they need to focus on. When I was the road manager for the Come Alive Singers, my uh, summer between my junior and senior year in, in college, there were eight guys and eight gals, and it was a huge honor for me because it, I can't sing a lick. I can't play an instrument. I know nothing about technology. I can do some moderately good acting and, um, and, and some speaking opportunities along the way, but to get to be the road manager, it came with a very handsome scholarship, a brand-new suit, two outfits, and an opportunity to lead 15 of my friends plus myself around America. We did seven concerts a week, pretty much in six different towns or cities uh, a week. And one of my responsibilities, again, this was 1991, there was no Waze app. (laughs) There were no cell phones, really, to speak of, not worth having. Anyway, it was right on the edge of the bag phone. Some of you might remember bag phones <laughs> in cars. They're in antique shops now, I think. But anyway, so we had uh, on board with us uh, on this one particular day a paid staff member from the college who happened to be my boss. Many of you would know this person as Miss Lisa Lewis. And uh, she likes for things to be done well and be done with excellence. And she was in the back of the van, you know, in a, in a conversation with several students. I was up near the passenger seat. I didn't drive any of the vehicles. But I was responsible for the, the directions and the estimated time of arrivals. What time our host families had to have us to our venue so we could have our devotions and our meeting. What time we needed to be on the road. How many stops we could make. How long we could be there. Where we would stop for lunch. When we would arrive. And I had to communicate all of that and make sure that we arrived right on time because host families at the next venue would be there and we had to quickly set up and do warm-ups and rehearsals and get everything ready. And as I had my high-tech Rand McNally map out and was looking over things, I realized something. The numbers did not look right on the signs for the exits. And I realized that we had gone 20 miles further than we were supposed to go. And doesn't that kind of thing always happen when the boss is on board? And I remember hurrying back to to her, and I was just so frantic. And I thought, what is she going to think? What am I going to say? How are we going to solve this? Because we were on a tight schedule. And she looked up, and I said, Lisa, I've done a horrible thing. And she goes, what? And I said, I let us go 20 miles past our exit. And she said, well, sounds like you need to turn around. (laughs) And you know that's what we did. We got off at the next exit. We either went over or under the, uh, the expressway. We got on the on-ramp, and we headed down the expressway going the complete opposite direction we had been going. And you know, 20 miles down the road, it pretty much solved all of our problems. And as I recall, we arrived not too terribly late, and the, the, the church that was hosting us was gracious, and then we were able to distribute our mail and have our meeting and quickly head off to the dinner Uh, and everything kind of worked. When you know you're headed in the wrong direction, the solution is quite easily. The solution is to take the very next exit, go over or under the expressway, get back on the on-ramp, and head the opposite direction from which you were coming. The Bible calls that repentance. The Greek word for it is metanoesate, which basically means make a U-turn. 
It really does. Do you know the word U-turns in the Bible? You make a U-turn. I once was doing things my own way. Someone brought it to my attention. I need to correct it. I need to make things different. We have a God of second chances. I need to get back on the road, and I need to be going toward God and serving him. And that's exactly what the, the 12 stones needed to do. That's what Israel needed, needed to do. He wanted them to know there really is a God. And the second thing he wanted them to know is that he was God's servant. You are an ambassador for Christ. You are his representative. And the only gospel that the majority of the people are ever going to read that you come in contact with is you. You can talk it, you can preach it, you can teach it, and you should. But the number one thing that they're going to do is they're going to observe you. And they're going to base their opinion or their understanding of Christianity on the things that you do, the things that you say, the the way that you think, and the way that you act. And that's what they'll first begin to understand about Jesus. Ahab may have tried to worship both God and others at first, but it wasn't long before he opposed the worship of Jehovah God and destroyed his altars and killed uh, his altar and killed his prophets and that went on in Samaria for 22 years you notice i said he was in opposition to god you're either for god or you're against him there's no lukewarm christians out there there are christians and there are non-christians or anti-christians Because you're either with God or you're against God. You're either hot or you're cold. And for Elijah, he was devastated as a prophet who had the people's faith under his responsibility to to educate them when they were wrong and to warn them of the need to metanociate, to get back on the road, but go toward God instead. Now keep in mind that for 22 years, God could have at any moment snapped his finger and put an end to all of the rebellion, right? God is always on his throne. God is always in control. But for a time, God may step aside. We've seen that through this series. He either steps aside when we think we're big shots and we can do it on our own, and he says, all right, then let's see how you do. And sometimes when we turn our backs on God, he steps aside to just see how long we'll disobey him. 22 years is a long time. And the older I get, the more I'm convicted as I read scriptures. I don't have 22 years to do things my own way. I don't have 22 years to stray from God. I don't have 22 years to turn my back on him or to go along life with a lukewarm faith and pretend like I'm hot when I'm not. I don't have 40 years of, uh, to set aside for discipline. I'd be 90 you know, at the end of God getting my attention. And I want to give God my attention now. Elijah was a bold prophet. He knew right from wrong, and the vacillating morals of the culture around him did not weaken him at all. We wouldn't call a doctor hateful or judgmental for telling patients who smoke that smoking's bad for them. The kind thing for a doctor to do is to speak the truth to his or her patients. We wouldn't tell a CPA to mind his or her own business for telling clients that they they can't write off birthday gifts to family members. The kind thing for a CPA to do is to speak the truth to their clients. We wouldn't tell law enforcement officers not to ruin an opioids addict's party by intercepting a drug deal 
confiscating the drugs and taking them to jail. The kind thing for the law enforcement officer to do is to begin the process of getting the addict off of the drugs and onto the journey to sobriety. And the prophet Elijah was just doing his job by speaking truth to Ahab and most importantly to all of the Israelites. But it wasn't well received. Elijah was in all indication a robust, outdoorsy type personality and yet going up against Jezebel was frightening. Elijah said in verse 18, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and you have followed the Baals. I'm only telling you what you need to hear. Elijah told Ahab that as a punishment for building the temple of Baal, God was going to bring a drought on the earth that would grip the land. And Ahab was ticked off big time, and Elijah had to flee for his life. God used all kinds of miraculous means to provide for Elijah and to spare his life. Jezebel wasn't just into paganism, but she was one bad dudette. (laughs) And she had a lot of people tortured and killed. Christianity is no spectator sport, and it's not for the weak. She had the prophets of Jehovah massacred if they spoke out against her or the pagan gods. Verse 4 and verse 13 tell how Obadiah, who was a very influential, strong, uh, God-fearing man, hid a hundred of Jehovah's prophets in caves by two groups of 50. He protected them from Jezebel and many of Jehovah's prophets. um, I'm sorry, from Jezebel who had had many of Jehovah's prophets killed. After the prophet Elijah defeated Jezebel, uh, Jezebel's prophets on Mount Carmel by calling down the fire, she swore revenge. The Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary says she was such a fearsome figure that the great prophet was afraid and ran for his life. After King Ahab died in, baz- uh, in battle, Jezebel continued for another 10 years, basically operating the throne through her sons. She was eventually trampled to death by horses and eaten by dogs in a very gruesome detail that you can read about for yourselves in 1 Kings 21. One truth which emerges from Jezebel's life is that God always balances the scales of justice. Wickedness will eventually triumph. uh, I'm sorry, wickedness will not always triumph, and eventually the evil is, is overcome. After the drought had lasted three years, God sent Elijah to Ahab with a challenge that was to take place on Mount Carmel. And he was going to challenge 850 of the prophets with their bull and his bull, 850 of their their prophets. And so they began the contest. And this was a real rain dance on their part. I mean, they were, they were, this drought had been so severe, and they were going to call out to Asheroth and to Baal, and they were going to solve this, and they're doing their dance. And I want you to know, Elijah had a little bit of an attitude, because <laughs> it tells us he began to mock them. And some of the things he, were, he was saying were not all that uh, soft or kind. Uh, how's it going? I don't see any fire yet. Where is your God? Oh, is he on vacation, perhaps, out of the office? Where is your God? Maybe he's asleep. Do not disturb. (laughs) Hey, what's going on? Is your God, is he on the toilet and can't 
can't come answer your, your request and send you fire. This is Elijah. He's, you know, he's really giving them a hard way to go over, over their inability to call Baal to send down fire. Elijah, when he fled to Mount Horeb, keep in mind that was where Moses received the Ten Commandments. He was there for 40 days and 40 nights hiding out in the wilderness, and he heard the low murmuring voice of the Lord. He was given a threefold assignment, anoint Hazael, as king of Syria, anoint Jehu as the future king of Israel, and anoint Elisha as the future prophet to take Elijah's place. Elijah never died. You know that part of his, at the end of his story? Elijah never died. There's only one other person in, in history prior to him who had ever experienced this honor, and that was Enoch. But in a whirlwind, God called Elijah up in to, into heaven, and it was an amazing thing. He was kind of a transitional prophet. Between the, the prophets before him, who like Samuel, who were primarily advisors and anointers, and the future ones, which would primarily be the, writer of the old, writers of the Old Testament. It was prophesied that Elijah would return to the earth before the coming of the Lord, and that was fulfilled indirectly through John the Baptist, who went along announcing the coming of the Lord, and he was dressed, John the Baptist was dressed like the prophet Elijah. And he's going along and he's announcing, I am not he, but he is coming after me. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals, but here he comes. Make way. The name of the Lord, he is coming. And he announced it. And in a very real physical way, Elijah did appear with Moses, along with Jesus at the transfiguration. 1 Kings 18.21 says, And Elijah came near to all the people, and he said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then you follow him. The people did not answer him a word. Today we would say of them, it's time to get off the fence. Could it be said of some of us here today, we've been sitting on the fence Wavering between two different opinions, one foot in the church, one foot in the world, compartmentalizing our faith, check in, check out of church during programming, living a separate secular life apart from the Lord. What would Elijah say in a loving way to us that would be truth? That would say, you need, you need revival. You need to come back. You need to repent. You need to get on fire for God. There is a God. You are his servant. And the third and final thing is he is the reason why you shine. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. My hope, my vision for Dover Christian Church is that we would be known as the church that shows the love of Jesus in our community in such a dramatic way that it's beyond normal kindness. That that would be our reputation. That's what we would be known for, is that we would be a church that acts like Jesus and says the things that Jesus would say and loves like Jesus and forgives like Jesus and shows up to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to the point of which it's what we're known for. Oh, that must be Dover Christian Church. When people hear of a story of acts of almost supernatural, uncommon, not normal, dramatic kindness... There was nothing normal about this contest that Elijah had against the, the gods uh, Baal and Asheroth. 
And he went up against them. And God called, when Elijah called down fire, God sent fire in a dramatic way. It was so dramatic that it came down and it completely consumed, incinerated the bull. That's, that's, a, that's quite a fire. That's not the type of fire you have when you click on the little big thing to light the fireworks on 4th of July that may or may not work every time. This is a humongous flame coming down out of heaven, and it's like a torch, and it incinerates. It cremates the, the bull to where it's completely gone. It actually burns up the dust around the altar. It burns up all 12 stones. What a wake-up call for those who those 12 stones represented. And if that wasn't enough, Elijah, to make it all the more dramatic, because he serves a very big God, Elijah says before he calls down the fire from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, he says, I want you to douse the altar, douse the, the bull and all of the wood and all of the trench around it and the stones with water. They did so. He said, great, now do it again. And they went and they got more water. And they soaked the the bull and the wood and the altar and the trench and the stones and the dust a second time. He says, great. Hey, do me a favor. Let's do this one more time. They go and they get the water and they douse the bull and, and the wood and the altar and the dust and the trench and the stones a third time. And now Elijah is ready to call down fire from heaven. And when that fire came down, no one could say, well, I just wonder if maybe somebody didn't have a magnifying glass and channeled some of the heat from the sun. No, this was a miraculous act of God. Did you know God's still alive and God is still powerful and God is still on the throne and he is still acting through his people today? And the way that plays out in our society today as a church is when we get out of the proverbial four walls and we show the love of Jesus to the community around us in such a powerful way that when we call down love from heaven, people feel it and their lives are changed and their families are restored and their marriages are strengthened. And their bellies are fed. And their homelessness is resolved. And difference happens. And it happens when they look within the four walls too. And they see the love that we have for one another. That it's not normal. That it's not just the kind of love and get along that says we don't argue and fight. But it's the type of love that, that shows that, man, when, when one of us hurts, we all hurt. When one of us has a need, we all pitch in. When one of us is, is straying, we go after that brother or sister and bring them back into the fold. If there's a hunger or a clothing need or a housing need, not among us. Because we love in a different kind of way. This fall and next spring, I I hope to see Dover get out in the community and maybe do some significant outreach that shows the powerful love of Jesus in such a way that causes people to look to Jesus and say, Wow, who does that? Who fixes up a, a dilapidated old house for an older couple? Who does that? Dover does that. Because Dover is acting like Jesus and doing the things that Jesus does and saying the things that Jesus says and acting like him and forgiving like him. 
Francis Chan, in his book, Letters to the Church, writes, The church's purpose is not just to exist. It is to produce. We are producing mature disciples who imitate Christ by constantly serving others. We, are we developing communities that are so deeply in love with one another that the world marvels at low how they love one another? Is the, if this is not being produced, why do we exist, Chan asks. When Jesus was asked in Matthew 22, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God, love others. A lot of churches spend a lot of money, a lot of time trying to draft the, the wordsmithing of it. But it all boils down to pretty much love God, love others. In the same chapter of Chan's book I quoted earlier, he, he also writes, Scripture is clear. There is a real connection between our unity and the believability of our message. If, you are, if we are serious about winning the lost... We must be serious about pursuing unity. John 13, 34, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said, if you have love for one another. And 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. It's an intrinsic quality of his the best way to share your faith story is to show your faith story what's your story what's your story elijah's story was there is a god i'm his servant and the things that i do i do at his command his word and may we do likewise as followers of Christ. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for your great love. God, I thank you for allowing us to be in here today and to talk about your power. God, of how you do over-the-top amazing feats of strength through your people when we believe that you are still powerful and still active in your church. And God, as a church today, as individual Christians gathered here today, God, Lord, we pour out our hearts to you. And we say, God, show this community do a powerful work through us. Our altar, your altar, that we have prepared for you is ready for you to rain down your power from heaven and to show unnatural, over-the-top love. Help us not to be normal in any way. Help us to be filled with your power, to be your disciples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to give an opportunity for you to do that repentance that Elijah talked about. If that's a first-time decision, an opportunity to be born again into Christ, we invite you to come. If you are already a, a baptized believer in Christ, but you've drifted, now's the time to turn back, uh, to metanoiseate and come back uh, to make that U-turn that we talked about.